Hello and welcome to the Indie Podcast. My name is Taylor Sloan. This is episode number eight of the Indie Podcast with Joshua Powell and the Great Train Robbery. Uh, they came over and sat down. We had an awesome conversation. Uh, it was a real delight to talk to those guys. Very funny guys. Um, awesome musicians. Uh, they came. We did the podcast. They played a couple songs for us. It was an awesome time. Uh, just a little word of warning, though. As sometimes happens when I have musicians on the podcast, we talk about some adultish things that, you know, probably aren't like safe for work or children or grandmothers or things of that nature. Uh, just something to keep in mind, but it's a pretty good, funny podcast. Um, I love talking to those guys. I think that, uh, what they're doing and wanting to kind of base themselves in central Indiana and really, um, you know, dig their feet into the, uh, music scene of central Indiana and be a part of that is really cool. I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, how they grow and, and what cool stuff happens with them as a result of that. Uh, and, uh, they're just really good at music and make some really good stuff and, uh, absolutely should go check them out. Uh, without further ado, here is Joshua Powell and the Great Train Robbery. Uh, are you young? I'm sorry we didn't practice our job. So, no, this is this is gold, man. This is just how podcasts All right. sound. This is this is how this podcast has decided to start. None of us really chose how this. It's manifested itself. Um, just for the sake of people who are probably wondering what's going on right now, why don't you four introduce yourselves? Uh, my name is Joshua Powell. I'm Adam Shuntich. I'm Jason Bukers. And I'm Ryan Corlew. And we're Joshua Powell and the Great Train Robbery. All right, so you guys uh, have been playing music for a while now, or Joshua, you have specifically uh, been playing music for a while, a while now under the guise of Joshua Powell and the Great Train Robbery. Uh, what made you get into music in the first place? For you to create the band in its iterations as it's gone on, and for you guys to be a part of the band, to have been musicians and doing what you do, what makes you guys be musicians and more specifically be your band. I think I started playing music in high school because I realized that girls weren't impressed with how much I knew about Star Wars. Um, <laughs> That's just a damn shame. <laughs> Various uh, church bands and stuff. But um, then I played in a ton of different bands through high school and college. It never it took off. And often the, the attitude of uh, the, my friends with whom I played were like, yeah, this is a really fun thing. And from the very first time ever, I was like the first band ever, I was like, this is the band. We're going to the top with this thing. Um, <laughs> And then, uh, did you? Uh, uh, you didn't know? Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I signed to a college record label in, in college, and it was uh, super ineffective, uh, getting, uh, growing my brand at all or anything like that. And I, after uh, my last my last pre-Grey Train Robbery band, Blindfold the Leaves, kind of split, um, I decided to do solo stuff. Um, I don't know. This is a it's a pretty bland story. The backing band kind of fell into place because we needed to do some full band shows and um, I think it's more interesting to say like how you guys came to be a part of it as we are now, right? Cuz there've been I think 16 different people in the Great Train Robbery collective since 2011 when we played our first like little college shows. But I don't know, you guys want to talk about how you got involved besides the um, leave out the part about farmersonly.com. 
<laughs> Isn't that the entire? Yeah, what else is there to tell? To tell. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, I'll go first. Uh, me and Joshua were buddies in college, and uh, both touring musicians for a while. And I dug his stuff, and we just started hanging out more and more. And I was bugging him all the time, like, "Hey, man." You gotta let me join your band. You need an electric guitar player. And he's like, well, it's not really what I'm doing right now. I don't really need an electric player. I was like, yeah, but you kind of do. So <laughs> um, he came out with a new record, which is much more electrically driven than mm-hmm. the old stuff. So it kind of became mandatory that he need an electric player. But even then, he's like, well, I don't know if I have room in the van. I don't know if I can bring you along. I, I want to have you, but I don't know if it's possible. I was like, well, I got all my stuff in my car. Let's back the van. <laughs> And he, <laughs> I could tell that he was like, there's no way it's going to fit. There's no way it's going to fit. Little do you know, I'm a Tetris master. And it fit with ample room. And he was just like, all right, you're in the band Welcome now. Welcome to the band. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the band due to my incredibly low spatial intelligence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there was ever a reason for somebody to join a, a it's because band. I fit yeah. <laughs> you not like fit musically or I mean Spatially, you do but like yes. no you literally fit in terms of how life. much stuff you have <laughs> yes lesson lesson learned if you want to be in a you know cool band play a lot of Tetris you just might yeah. find yourself somewhere <laughs> in that and now we have so much more stuff than we ever had. Oh my gosh, yeah. Running amps in stereo and bringing keyboards oh and whatnot. Gosh. I used to tour as a trio and like you couldn't bring an extra toothpick. There's no <laughs> room. That's, I mean, something that I'm learning about working with the team is uh, just like what I'm not good at doing and, and, and learning to like give up those responsibilities to, to these guys. Like um, everyone has, has started chipping a little bit on helping book support and uh, we've gotten it down to like when I'm, when I'm shaking hands at the end of the night, they're loading out, and they've been super helpful about that. I just remember, like, when I first started this band, I was like, uh, we need t-shirts. I like design a t-shirt, and I made one, and uh, I'm not a visual artist, and the t-shirt sucked, and it took forever to sell. And after that, I was like, maybe I should ask someone who's an artist, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, and so the, the people that, like, the producer and the engineers that we worked with, and, and even just, like, being on a team and learning to give up some of the control with, with these cats has been really beneficial for the, the trajectory of the band, I think. So what about you guys? Alright, um, I'll go next. So, uh... <laughs> this is a good story. <laughs> it is a good story. So, uh... Um, I was I was in a band previously, and it... I, I really enjoyed the music we made. Um, however, it just... The, the group dynamic was never right and it was it always just felt like a big conflict and it never really I don't know I just didn't it it, it just hadn't been working for a long time, but nobody really wanted to admit that. And last semester, it was going... The, the Beatles, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> my, my real name is Ringo Starr. Um, but last semester... You pick Ringo. <laughs> I was going to say, that's like... Okay, let's back off Ringo. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, really, you think I'm going to claim to be Paul McCartney? I don't put myself on that George George Harrison. Harrison. You're not a bass player. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, so last semester it was going particularly poorly, and I was just talking to Joshua. I Joshua and I became friends recently, and I was just talking to him about kind of how it was going. 
<laughs> he did. bonded over Korean revenge thrillers. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> lots of hammering of genitals with actual hammers. <laughs> Dude, our, our mom's listening. <laughs> I'm just saying, what's actually in the movie? We didn't do the hammering. <laughs> Oh, wait, that's not, that's not how we became friends? <laughs> oh my god. Anyway. This is, this is the long, longest podcast. I'd like to uh, also just apologize to everybody's moms who's listening to this podcast. Now. I apologize to my mom do. anytime I record anything. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I send her a text once a day just says sorry. <laughs> no what for? You don't You'll find out about it. <laughs> Jason, as you were. As I was. Um, and so uh, I was just talking to Josh about kind of how it was going and it wasn't really going that well. And he was like, ha, you should just play for me. And I was like, ha, ha, that's a hilarious joke, Joshua. And then a week later, I was just like, wait, was he serious at all? So I kind of sent my text. I was like, hey, man, so what is your bass player situation? And uh, sure enough, we... Uh, just kind of met up and talked about it, and over a few months, we planned it out, and here I am. You have a habit of acquiring band members by accident. True. <laughs> True. <laughs> well, it's working out. My my luck is good. <laughs> right. Uh, I was I was acquired intentionally. I would say. Yeah, you're, you're the only one that wasn't uh, an accident, poached, dude. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I was just finishing up a degree in music business uh, at Anderson University, and I was in Joshua's touring class. So we got to know each other uh, through that. He still didn't really know me as a player. I don't know. I still had never heard you play the drums yeah. until the first rehearsal we had. Right. After you're already in the band. <laughs> Which yeah. So basically, I I was at a staff meeting one day at work, and I get a text from from Adam. Because Joshua didn't know me super well, so Adam was, was uh, relaying information. Like, hey, you wanna you wanna play drums for GTR? And I was like, uh, Great Train Arbor. I was like, Yeah, like uh, just like a one-off show or something. And Adam said, No, forever. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Until you die. <laughs> no, that's, your, that's what your contract says. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but it's yeah. so actually a cult. Yeah, uh, yeah. there's like a really serious initiation ritual, and mm-hmm. yeah, we're like Scientologists. We get really that? upset. <laughs> There's lawsuits involved. Yes. Let's not publicize that. <laughs> um, but no, I guess I, I was, uh, it was an amazing opportunity. I just graduated and I'm getting the chance to go on the road and, and do what I love, love to do is play the drums. Uh, I basically told Joshua I could turn it down. You know, I didn't see a way that I could. He, he thinks that, you know, I had... <laughs> Too high hopes for the band. I was really but, flattered. I remember it was just like, man, I think you're, he's like, this is the kind of opportunity I've been waiting for. And I was like, uh, I think you're overestimating our <laughs> <Yeah>. band. Uh, <laughs> but it was so, it was also funny. It's, it's, it's funny to say this about a grown man, but it was like, it was really cute after our first weekend. I handed him his cut from the, the profits of the weekend. He's like, what? <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah, dude, uh, I mean, it's not much, but you get paid. And he's but, like, I've been gigging for 10 years, and no one's ever handed me cash afterward. Right. Well, I made money when I played in my dad's cover band, which was a glorious time. But I can you, can you say it. that sentence again? My dad's cover band. <laughs> wait, <laughs> no, wait. Get that out there. Can I ask you something? Yes. Yeah. Was it a, like a tribute band of, a, of another specific band that already existed, or were you covering? It was mostly like blues rock. Like okay. It, uh, we played some like poison, yeah. the, the the typical uh, Margaritavilles and that kind of crap. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I owe a lot of my experience to that. We played gigs every weekend throughout high school. 
But what I mean, like I made money from that once in a while. But what I was saying, like I just spent the last four years in college playing crappy gigs for the very few artists that exist at Anderson University that didn't pay anything ever. So this was an amazing opportunity. That's really cool. Um, how has the band? I mean, it, how long has the band been around? Total. The the incident dates a little bit nebulous. It yeah. depends on who's asking. Like how how deep the history is supposed to go. Um, we we. We've been working professionally since 2013. Yeah. Uh, I graduated May 2013 and, and then started touring full time. The the band name and, and the first record and, and half of the second record or something sort of all progressed really gradually and haphazardly while I was in college. Like we, we created our Facebook page in 2011. So I we, think that's when you're official. <laughs> yeah, well, the 2011, man. We're, uh, we're getting old. Okay. All right. Like we, Five we, years. We played gigs at... Uh, we basically just played, like, the campus coffee shop and Be Here Now and, like, a smattering of bizarre little restaurants and stuff across Newcastle, wherever anyone would give us, like, free dinner and 40 bucks or whatever. Um, but we still, I mean... I had no idea at that point that, like, this was going to be the project that I ended up devoting my life to it was just like still very much like a college band you know um so 2011 slash 2013 i guess okay so in that let's say that amount of time so either like five years or three years uh how has your music changed are you still (laughs) (laughs) i mean aside from adding adding and subtracting different musicians like what how has the intention of your music changed not not just stylistically but intentionally how's your music changed we started as a Kanye West cover band. <laughs> okay. No more parties in LA. Please, baby. No, wait, so uh, apart from stylistically, what was other was Just, branch of that? So, um, in your intention, so the intention behind the music okay. you're making, how has that changed? For or sure. Has it changed? Uh, so there's been like a very observable uh, gr- growth development of the music. Because uh, the first record, I kind of think is of like the American dream record. Like every kid who ever played guitar in his bedroom was always like, I want to make an L- like an LP, you know? Mm-hmm. And so the first record I did in college in my, in my buddy's, uh, in our school studio in my buddy's house. And it was just like every halfway decent song I'd written in the last four years. Yeah. So it's really uh, like ramshackle. Um, there's songs that sound like folk music. There's songs that sound like friggin', you know, Mayday Parade. It's just like, it's yeah. really disjointed and, and lacks a lot of identity. Um, and then the next record, we were like, oh, we have to like hone in on a thing. My, my mentor, Matt, was like, I feel like you walked down the sonic hallway and kicked open every door. You need to pick three doors. Um, so I picked one door and I was like, we're going to make the rootsiest folk Americana album ever. And if it doesn't sound like folk, it doesn't make the record. So the, the Man is Born for Trouble was all banjos, mandolins, and it was totally like perfectly timed wrong that that just happened to be what I was into because of folks like uh, like Neil Young and Fionn Reagan and Dennis and Whitmer. That was at the, like, the, you can't, I'm air quoting podcast listeners, the folk revival mm-hmm. of Mumford and Sons and the Lumineers and all the other, like, copycat generic kind of bands that were getting you know, all that top 40 airtime. Generic. I like that. It's good. Um, and after that, I was like, you know what? What, what I love about folk music is the authenticity, the narrative density, um, but what does folk music sound like in 2016? I think we are allowed to make it whatever we want. So Alyosha, which is uh, definitely our best work to date, and I think the thing that encapsulates who we are the most today, uh, is all over the place instrumentally. There's a lot of electric guitar, like Adam said earlier. Um, there are synthesizers. 
there's still the occasional smattering of like Appalachian influence, but it's also just a lot more freeform. And we were less worried about what other people would think about it. I was just trying to make the record I wanted to hear. Mm-hmm. Intentionally, um, started off as a fun thing to do in college. Um, I, had a, I had a pastor talk to me when I was a senior looking at graduating. Uh, I, I like to joke that the Lord saved me from worship ministry because I was about to take a church job and uh, this dude talked me out of it and uh, ended up packing, uh, selling most of the stuff I own, packing everything else I own in the van and kind of started touring indefinitely. We booked three months, but we ended up being on tour for almost two years uh, before I ever had an address again. Um, moved back to the indie area two years ago and the intention now is to focus regionally. Uh, we really, are, I'm, I'm, I can't speak for their guys yet, but uh, I'm really passionate about the Indianapolis community and, and the art scene that's happening here and the, the growth and the ownership that I see and the people here. Uh, it's something that I really want to be a part of. And while it's still like a, a littler pond than other cities, I think that it's the right time to be here to help build this scene into the community. Like, It's not so developed that the small guys don't have a voice. Like who, every every band in Indianapolis right now matters on how we cultivate the artistic scene here and, and how patronage works, and how hospitable we are. And so while we still tour nationally once or twice a year and do a ton of regional gigs, we are trying to focus on Indiana um, and, and spiral outward from there rather than just kind of like uh, improvisatory shotgunning across the country. Like, thanks, LA, that was fun. See you in a year, you know? Yeah. So I had um, Coyote Talk on, who you guys played some shows with every oh, once in a while. They're okay, you know, they're okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, one of the things that we kind of talked about with that, and it's something that is kind of becoming more and more of a, a thing, I think, looking at the music industry from the outside, is kind of the idea of like middle class musicians. Like mm-hmm. you are... Uh, able to make your music and distribute your music and play uh, gigs and tour without the help of a major record label, like basically, you know, bankrolling the entire thing. Mm-hmm. So I think I, I would imagine you guys probably say that you kind of fit into that. Sure. That is an idea of like trying to make it just a normal average middle American, uh, not the band mid-American, but uh, <laughs> like, like, an average American lifestyle by playing music and, and being artists. What are some of the things that you guys see as struggles with that? And uh, what are the things you guys love about that? Somebody else want to feel this first? Um, I, I, I just love the, like, I don't feel obligated to, to do so much stuff. Like I, I consider it my job now to, as, to be a musician. It's getting me by, you know, I have another job that I work maybe once a month and I won't work at all this summer, but living that lifestyle, and I've only done it for such a short amount of time, but I've already fallen in love with it and I definitely see myself wanting to stick with it and it's only going to get better and bigger from here, you know. I definitely say there's a a sense of ownership when you do it, yeah, indie style, Um, just because, I mean, we don't answer to anybody we just we do everything ourselves you know we book all the shows joshua writes all the songs you know we don't really have any higher ups and that you know it, it every time almost every time like what do you do oh i'm a professional musician You're like oh so you like signed a record label i'm like no nah. like you just do it and it's 
get kind of some funny looks sometimes. People don't, don't really understand the dynamics of the industry today. But, you don't have a real job? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, you're a musician, so you're unemployed. Huh? No, no, but how do you make <laughs> yeah. money? Every time somebody's saying, oh, I'm, a, I'm a musician, oh, so you're unemployed, that's the new free word. Yeah. Like, it's a joke that was, like, funny the first time, maybe, <laughs> yeah. but not anymore. I think uh, one of the, the coolest things about being in, in sort of the, the DIY ethos of this is that um, there is there is such a sincerity to the interactions that you have with the people that enable you to do it. Um, like we don't stay in hotels, but maybe like once or twice a month when we're on, you know, even like a four month tour, like every a couple weeks maybe. But like you. Uh, it's, there's less networking and there's real like actual making of friends. Now we're you know we rely so heavily on the hospitality, generosity, and kindness of, of, of friends and strangers. You know, and and not, I don't think it's uh, I could see that coming as of like coming off as sort of like a freeloading thing. Like oh, so you eat other people's foods, you stay in other people's houses. But I think that the exchange is a very real thing. And like Amanda Palmer talks about it a lot in uh, her, her like TED talk and stuff. But it's what we do. People value it. Uh, art has been so commoditized, but um, for you know, it's so funny when we come into town. We see people that are like, they're so happy that they're friends with the band. Like they love the band. They're so they're so stoked that we come to hang out at their house, and we're just like, uh, why are you being nice to us? We, you know, we, like this is why would you like get up early to make us breakfast and everything? Like we didn't do anything, but they love that they can support a band that they like, and so there's a very real like. You know, you talk about business and it's all about like networking, you know, business cards and like greasing the skids and everything. And like, yeah, I would be lying if I said I don't prioritize networking. But outside of the establishment of the music industry, there is a lot of warmth and there's a lot of authenticity in the interactions. Because the music scene is so small and tight knit, you can't be a dick. Like if you're rude or if you're, if you're, uh, you know, Jonathan Class. I think he got it from somebody else, but he always says, never underestimate the power of a good hang. At the end of the day, you're going to work with the people that you like. Mm -hmm. And we get to work with a ton of people that we really like. And Jason. (laughs) (laughs) You can't see it, but I'm crying. (laughs) On the inside. You literally can't see it because this is an audio-only podcast. Um, So one of the things you talked about, too, with what you guys are doing, touring, playing music, recording music, where do you guys see yourself in the future? I know talked about really focusing regionally and in particular being an indie band, not I-N-D-I-E, but I-N-D-Y, Indianapolis band. And um, how, how do you guys see yourself kind of living into that and how that pushes you guys forward as a band? Probably homeless. <laughs> I saw a tweet last week that's like at an interviewer. Inter- the interviewer. So where do you see yourself in five years? Uh, mostly just slaying it. <laughs> um, I, set a, I set a goal for myself about three years ago when I started trying to do this professionally, and that was um, if, if we hadn't seen observable growth that made this look like a viable career five years out of college that I would consider doing something else with my life. Because one of the first shows I played on tour outside of Indiana, I played with this punk band, uh, this little DIY space, and they were all in their mid-30s, and they were playing the same show for, like, no one that I was. And I was like, uh, if I'm 35 still playing in an all-ages venue for six people, probably need to get another degree or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
that was three years ago. And I'm uh, looking at you know the next two years and going, we are doing way better. <laughs> Even last year, because when you do all the work yourself, um, you there's so much trial and error. You see all the results first, but you also see your own screw ups like so blatantly mm-hmm. that you can you can fix them uh, if you have you know just half a brain in it and then some assertiveness. So. I love the cycle that we work right now, which has been, I mean, we're still like super young, um, but like take a, take a couple months to work on, you know, finishing up an album, take a month to record the album, tour on it for like a year and a half. Like I'll never get tired of doing that. It's just like a really, um, some people are like, oh, we just mostly like making records. Other people are like, we mostly just like playing shows. I think I'm in, I'm in love with both. And these guys are all new enough to the band that um, they're playing parts that most mostly other people have written like i wrote a lot of the guitar parts for Alyosha and stuff but um we've been cultivating like an internal culture of just trusting each other i hope and uh we'll be you know hoping things that move towards a more sort of collaborative idiom um but uh we definitely have our sights set on on being one of the bigger midwestern regional bands i think one of the next practical steps that we're looking at is trying to uh, sign with a booking agency. Um, somebody asked me that recently. Oh, but you guys should get like a booking agent. I'm like, well, then what would I do with all of my time? Because <laughs> that's like that's like 30 hours a week for me is sending emails yeah. and creating yeah. databases. But it's we know how to book shows. That's not a problem. But the thing is, uh, we, we we can work our asses off and play this like national tour that we're about to do. It's like 100 shows, mm-hmm. and we'll see larger audiences than we did last year. But still, we're looking at like you know maybe 50 people a night. And, and uh, you know, if we could get on a roster that has a larger act that would pair us with a larger act, mm-hmm. I think that's the next step is just getting on a, on a tour or five, opening for bigger bands. Because I saw Julian Baker at the Hi-Fi a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. She had uh, Phoebe Bridgers opening for her, who is this, this cat from L.A., uh, who I'd never heard of, and I'm pretty sure no one in Indy has heard of. But mm-hmm. here she was, like a virtually un- it was her first time to Indiana, and she's playing for 200 people who are like raptly attentive. Why? Because she was she was lauded by Julian Baker. Mm-hmm. And so if we could get on some tours like that instead of, of killing ourselves to play for 50 people a night, you know, get, signing somewhere where we can play for 300, 500 people a night, the trajectory would just like steepen so quickly. I think so. That's kind of. Uh, long-term goal for us. Was that the right answer? Was it yeah. a question? I don't I talk. I mean, this is pretty yeah. free form, man. This yeah. is not. We're also trying to get sponsored. This isn't. Taco Bell, so. This isn't six. <laughs> Taco Bell. If you're saying feed the bees, so yeah, we're we're chasing corporate sponsorships with Taco Bell and PBR. <laughs> or just Taco Bell. I mean, you make you make like folk-ish Americana music that. Entire like crowds full of hipsters listen to. I would think PBR would probably not be that hard. I, I know, right? <laughs> I know, you know. With the amount of Taco Bell that we eat, we really thought that it would be like like be shoe in for the feed to be program. Yeah, we yeah. eat so much Taco Bell. That's probably why they won't sponsor us because like because they know that we're gonna keep eating it anyway. Yeah, yeah. And I'm pretty sure we alone fund the Anderson Taco Bell. I think like, right. just us. They, everyone at that everyone at that location knows. Me and my brother. They know me and my dog. <laughs> <laughs> they, every time I okay, are, you, are you feeding your dog Taco Bell or? I mean, yeah. <laughs> no, I'll, it's I'll wholesome take, nutrition, man. Yeah, my dog actually different. knows the phrase "want to go to Taco Bell" and she gets really excited. And she oh, hops in the awesome. car, and then uh, the uh, one lady, I forget her name, 
uh, one of the drive-thru ladies. Oh, Janice? I think, yeah. Oh. I was running through and she recognized my voice. She goes, so you got your dog with you? I'm like, yeah. She said, you want a little cup of meat? And I was like, yeah, she will. So she, yeah, cup <laughs> she was actually asking you if yeah. you got a little yeah. cup of meat. She assumed I, your food was for the she dog. She does the same thing started. to you. I do understand that Taco Bell beef is dog food grade. <laughs> you put enough milk and beans, man. cheese, and you can't see that I'm doing air quotes right now, but air quotes <laughs> cheese on top of anything, yeah. it's it's... Dude, that's one, the, that's one of the things I noticed the culturally when I moved to Indiana in, in 2009 <laughs> was that people here put fake cheese on everything. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, we do. Yeah. That's an Indiana it's thing, for sure. So. <laughs> um, true story. We actually, uh, the Taco Bell we went to yesterday, they told us that they might be getting rid of the Verde sauce, which oh, is one of our and we legitimately the contemplated dropping money on the last box of Verde sauce that they had because we were so devastated by the idea of getting rid of it. They took pity on us and gave us a whole sack full of Verde sauce. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> so yeah, now we bring our own Taco Bell sauce to Taco Bell. <laughs> they ask you when you go through the drive-thru if you and you just show them a handful <laughs> of Verde sauce. No, no we're good. Yeah, no, we're good. <laughs> well, it's crazy because uh, they no matter how much you ask for, it's really inconsistent, and so right. We really yeah. try to emphasize what they want. Because like, they used to be, oh yeah, can we get like a lot of Verde sauce? And they give you six. Because like maybe some people use two. But we use like six per taco. So instead we're like, yeah, can we get a veritable shit ton of Fire and Verde? <laughs> and they're like, a shit ton, huh? I think a shit ton's on the metric system. Yeah. It's on there. Oh, so that's it's why the shit yeah. T-O-N-N-E. Yes. Uh, I have fun. no. I don't even talking remember. About talking for 10 I don't even remember what I was going to ask you guys. <laughs> Talk really about hear, hear us, please. Yeah. <laughs> We've already gone from, and I'm really, I'm actually kind of sad because we we did the yawn thing. I'm kind of sad you didn't go with the whole. I don't even remember what it was. Oh, the Jason, you can Matthews. still throw it in there. I can yeah. still fire it off. <laughs> you know what? If you do it now, I might just put it in the pod. If, okay. if I, I either will just leave it now or I'll put it in the podcast at the beginning. <laughs> the yawn was a pretty catastrophic failure. Yeah, so. it kind of didn't work. <laughs> well, you guys are trying to do a jazz chord with a yawn, right, and that's right, just right. not an easy oh. thing to do without really oh. practicing it. Right. <laughs> Workshopping it, even. Okay. Jason, take it away. Yeah. Hello, Indianapolis. This is your number one Dave Matthews podcast, The Authority. Um, we're here today discussing the issues of Dave. Um, today's issue, did Dave Matthews write Crash Into Me about Reagan from The Exorcist? We will find out today. <laughs> For the listeners, this stems from about an hour and a half long discussion that we had today about yep. the interpretations of The Exorcist. Um, it's a deep movie. Well, this is the first lineup of the Great Train Robbery that we've ever had. <laughs> four for four horror fans, hmm. um, and so it's it's it used to be just like me alone with my headphones and everyone else in the van or whatever. But now we we all dig watching that stuff together. It's super fun, and they, and two of them hadn't seen the Exorcist before now. <laughs> hey, hey, Adam! Hey, Adam. You want to watch uh, Nightmare on Elm Street? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> Last time I asked you anything, man. That's fantastic. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is this is the first time in this this entire this podcast is broken now, but that's okay. Um, I had one other serious question I was going to ask you guys. So, you were talking about wanting to get signed to a booking agent and wanting to play bigger shows and things like that. 
and you want to be a band here in Indianapolis, do you think those two things uh, are things that will work together? Or do you think you see yourselves more as being based in Indianapolis and traveling to play bigger shows? And then kind of a second question to that is, do you think that it's possible for that to happen in Indianapolis, like to be a big band in Indi- or a big show playing band in Indianapolis? I, I definitely want to hear what you guys have to say about this, but I'm going to just jet in really quickly and say um, the, the move back here was super purposeful because it was after two years. I'd, I'd seen like almost every major city in the U.S. and fell in love with a lot of them. But... Uh, Indiana is a really special place to me. It got in my blood early, and uh, it always just feels like coming home. And I have a lot of faith in what's happening in Indy right now because I think that we're experiencing the the germinal stages of a cultural renaissance here. Um, there's so much new art and music and uh, beer culture and, and booking culture that's sprouting up um, through sort of the cracks in the sun-bleached concrete of the post-auto Indianapolis, you know? Um, like we hung our hat on manufacturing and then when the manufacturing dried up, so did the city and, um, people who have a sense of ownership and hope are sticking it out here and new people are coming all the time because of the low cost of living and because of the, the burgeoning scenes that are developing. So I think that, uh, you know, there's, there are some fantastic bands out of indie right now, but we haven't had like an Indianapolis hero since Margo and the Nuclear So-and-Sos, right? They're like one of the only indie bands in the last decade that have come out of indie and like broken it big nationally. Yeah. And um, I think they were primed for that to be able to happen again if the work ethic is there. And so we want we want this to be home, but we also know that uh, you can't you can't be a band that just plays one city if you want to be a national act. So I think that we're always going to travel. I think they're always going to meander around um, – because we all love traveling, not even just like playing shows. We just love being on the road together, seeing the country and seeing the friends and, you know, playing in the woods and jumping in the lakes and <laughs> drinking beer and just having a good time. But uh, I think that this is like, I think it's going to be the home base. And hopefully, I mean, Indy's been really receptive to what we're doing. And I felt very, coming from Florida where there wasn't a scene for what I wanted to do, I always felt like very adopted and just like graciously received here. So, um that's what I've got. There's also the fact that Indianapolis is a great hub for a touring band. We can be in a major city yeah. in four or five states within two and a half hours. Yeah, yeah, I was just going to say that, America. You know, yeah. we were kind of, Indianapolis is a nice place to be because we're also building several uh, strong derivative markets from Indy. You know, like yeah. When I did the band, Youngstown's, yeah, Ohio is one of our best places to play now. And you've never been there before. Right a year ago um and we're real close to columbus is where jason's from and like it's just you know chicago we can go just about anywhere yeah without leaving too far from home it is really yeah, that's a great point uh like i love denver a lot denver's a great city but uh if you're a band that's based there you can play the springs you can play boulder the only other major city is like the next major city is like 12 hours away yeah so like good luck being a weekend warrior there you know like mm-hmm. it's just I'm not, you know, I'm not crapping on Denver. It's a great place, but this is a place where you can operate in a lot more markets with a lot more ease. So that's helpful too. Yeah. And the nacho cheese. That doesn't hurt. <laughs> well, it yes. doesn't belong to us. Yes. The Yats, yeah. the Sun King. Yeah, the Yats is one of those things that is like, if 
Okay, so we're recording this in my apartment, and full disclosure, I moved here from Irvington about a year ago, and um, full disclosure, 90% of the reason that I moved to this apartment is I can walk to the yes. <laughs> at, at 52nd, or at 54th in college, like, it's it's like a 10-minute walk, which is just fantastic. <laughs> we're still we're still living in Anderson right now, so it's like 45 minutes to get here. Ryan just made the move I yesterday. To today. today. <laughs> uh, you guys can get to the yes at Hamilton Town Center pretty quickly. Though, right? yeah. yeah. So that's not bad. I'm moving to Indy in September, yeah. but I, I need to consider the locations of Yats when I'm yeah. <laughs> I mean, Irvington's a great neighborhood. I love Irvington. Um, I want to record some podcasts about things in Irvington, so don't take this the wrong way, Irvington, but you guys don't have a Yats. Dude, Irvington <laughs> get on that. has the theater that's so cool. That's true, yeah. It has, um, isn't uh, Rabble Coffee in the Irvington neighborhood? Uh, Cool Yard Coffee is. I'm not sure about that. I played a show at, at that coffee shop. Like not a, did like an art. It's called Art Speak. It was like a live interview yeah. show thing. But I think that was the Irvington neighborhood where it's just like yeah, the, supposed to be on the up. Irvington's actually really cool. And the Irving Theater is, is awesome. Uh, my buddy Andy Enix uh, recorded uh, and created some electronic music that I did kind of like video jockeying for like uh, kind of some backgrounds and elements of environmental stuff and the lights and stuff for and I think that when we're talking about like big venues in Indianapolis yeah. that could take off and can see a lot of people or having a lot of people mm-hmm. for standing room I think the Irving Theater is really poised to be a big place for that I so. would love to see either like Do 317 or some other like younger promotional company catalyze uh, something at that space because it's such a beautiful yeah. theater. Mm-hmm. We played there back in January for the first time, and uh, I mean, it was actually like a pretty good turnout, but it was still like the first fifth of the room, you know? Right. Yeah, I was right. like, you could book almost any band ever mm-hmm. to come here. It's yeah. so big and yeah, it's yeah. so like austere and, and definitely creepy and haunted. Yeah, it has an interesting history though. Do you guys, you, do you guys know what it used to be? It used to be well. I mean, it was it was an old movie palace uh-huh. back when mm-hmm. it was built for a time. Then it closed for a while, and I can't remember what decade this happened. I want to say it was like the seventies. Obviously, when Irvington like had not gone through its kind of burgeoning revival that it's going through now, but it was a uh, pornography theater. So okay, it really? was where uh, yeah. Was where some unscrupulous dudes used to go and watch movies. Uh, so, but now, I mean, you know, it so that's, why the, that's why all the ghosts are naked. <laughs> I thought yeah. the floor was sticky. <laughs> <laughs> Again, to all of the mothers listening to this podcast, we get we get like three, right? That was number two. <laughs> oh man! Jeez. All right, we are. Uh, <laughs> really doing, doing good here. Um, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, this, is, this is obviously like a PG-13 plus podcast. So, um, All you kids out there. <laughs> so, uh, Joshua Powell and the Great Train Robbery. This has been an awesome podcast. Tell us, uh, the listeners and myself, where you guys are going to be at, where we can come and listen to you guys live. And then tell us where we can get your back catalog of albums to listen to. Yeah, we're playing tomorrow. at the uh, we're playing at the first Friday event at the Hi Fi. Uh, okay. On the first Friday, with our friends in the band, stay outside, and then a couple other touring bands. Um, 
Oh, and then we're going to be at the Virginia Avenue Folk Fest as well. I forgot that. Yeah. Uh, that yeah. one, will, it'll be an early afternoon show at uh, Hotel Tango uh, over um, across from the Chili Water Brewing Company. Um, aside from that, uh, we're constantly updating joshuapowellmusic.com with our um, with our show dates. They're also uh, channeled through Bands in Town, so definitely follow us on Bands in Town. Um, we are playing uh, about 100 shows this summer. We're doing six weeks of the East Coast uh, and then eight weeks of the West. So basically, if you live in America, you can see us this summer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, continental, at least. In Toronto, we're doing yeah, uh, our first Canada. full band show in, in Canada. Um, you can get all of our music, uh, all of our full lengths on iTunes or Amazon or Spotify. Uh, or uh, Alyosha, our new one, is on Bandcamp as well. Um, and then we have a couple EPs you can download for free from Noise Trade. But uh, pretty much any of the information that you're looking for about that stuff is all on joshuapowellmusic.com. And then we can find you on Facebook and Twitter yeah. and all that stuff. Facebook and Instagram is slash joshuapowellmusic. Twitter is uh, JP and the GTR. All right. Awesome. JP and the GTR. Joshua Powell and the Great Train Robbery. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for listening to the Indie Podcast. If you haven't already done so, please go to our iTunes and SoundCloud pages. Subscribe to those. Leave us a comment or a rating. Let us know what you think. You can get a hold of us also by email. We are IndiePodcastCrew at gmail.com. And on Twitter, we are at IndiePodcastCrew. You can find us as The Indie Podcast on Facebook. We'd love to hear from you. Please subscribe. Tell your friends. Thanks again to Joshua Powell and the Great Train Robbery for coming. Uh, look on our YouTube page, uh, which if you go to YouTube and search for uh, Indie Podcast or The Indie Podcast, uh, here pretty soon I'm going to have a couple of songs, some uh, acoustic music that they played uh, right here in my living room uh, on YouTube. So check that out. Uh, if you are listening to this on the day that it comes out, which should be Thursday, May the 5th, Tomorrow, they're playing at the Hi-Fi for the first Friday event. Go check them out. Joshua Powell and the Great Train Robbery uh, are one of those bands you absolutely want to see. Thank you so much for listening to the Indie Podcast. Take care.